moment has come. This is the first ever episode of the Buddy Ruski Show. For those of you that haven't heard the trailer, please go check that out uh, to learn more about the show, where it's headed, or the premise for all of this. It really comes down to storytelling. Um, and I'm really excited to have my first ever guest here to talk a little bit about his story, uh, his upbringing in Durham, where he's been the last few years or so, and, uh, and his return back to Durham as well. Nick Wallhauser, thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you. I think I'm a terrible storyteller, but uh, let's get these well, stories Even told. if you're, well, you know, your story is interesting regardless. Uh, so we're, we'll, I'll guide you through it. I will be your, uh, your captain today as we navigate this, uh, this, what I think is a pretty interesting story. You grew up here in Durham. Have you always been interested in music? For some of you that, that don't know Nick, Nick is a big part of the DJ and, and hip-hop scene here in the Triangle, uh, one of the founders of Roundhouse Music Collective record label that puts on really, really awesome showcases for all the talented beat makers that are here uh, in, in the Triangle area and, and beyond. Uh, but have you always been interested in music or were you more of a, a jock maybe back in the day and, and made a transformation in your uh, adult life? Uh, I'm not a, uh, I don't do athletic stuff anymore, but I still might be jockish occasionally. I don't know yet. <laughs> but um, let's see, music-wise, I think that began uh, before sports ever did for me. Um, I went to EK Poe, actually, where uh, you had people, a lot of musicians and artists, um, some being uh, Duncan Webster of Hammer and Beauty World, uh, Stephen Kaufman, who drummed for Who's Bad and is now in The Beast. Uh, Pierce Freelon, you know. Roster's candidate, And uh, yeah, so I mean, you have people that are doing music still today that uh, that I'd gone to elementary school with. Uh, Will Goble, jazz bassist, aficionado. Um, so music was there. And then in middle school and especially high school, sports took over for me. Um, pretty much. And is that just because of the opportunities that were available to you in the music program? Was it just not as strong? You were being drawn towards sports more? Uh, was it something with your friends that were there like, hey, you know, come instead of sitting in your basement making beats, come play lacrosse or come play soccer or whatever with us? How did you decide on because that's a tough thing. I mean, every kid goes through that where they're interested in a million things. And then as you get older, you you have to uh, maybe you don't have to, but a, a lot of people end up dropping things to really focus on one craft. So how did you come to that determination? Uh, let's see. It was actually, it was right around when DSA first opened. So Durham School of the Arts. Um, Are you that old? I am. I think so. <laughs> I graduated in 02. So I don't remember when DSA began, but I think it was when I went to middle school. And a lot of the more, you know, arts and music driven people went to DSA where I went to Brogdon and I think it was that split that really uh you know I ended up playing I don't know whatever sports in middle school and um not losing touch of those people but like didn't see them every day and you know didn't play in bands with them didn't do our like red hot chili peppers cover bands or whatever it could have been <laughs> was that a thing I don't think so it's probably more Nirvana but one or one or the other and so while they're focused, because DSA is known for, you know, it's School of the Arts, right? Yeah. They've got music and theater and all these different things. Brogdon, I went to Brogdon as well, didn't lack arts programs, but certainly not known for um, churning out musicians and visual artists in the way that 
DSA is. Um, so you so you go to Brogdon and you end up at Riverside and, and kind of in the athletics track. Are you still working on music kind of behind the scenes while you're doing no, that? Not too much then. I think uh, Fruity Loops, cracked versions of Fruity Loops started to really appear during my junior or senior year of high school and uh, definitely had one of those. Well, and, and, and music really downloading fun. too. I mean, that was yeah. when... Uh, LimeWire, Napster, Kazaa, LimeWire, all those P2P downloading services. You, you had all this music available to you. So, yeah. um, and, and not just music, but samples and, and beats and things like that. So it really unlocked the ability to make music for a lot of people that couldn't afford to go to studios. You know, the, the, the home studio really became a thing for a lot of, a lot of young folks. Yeah, uh, the music downloading, I think. I don't know, when you ask if music's always been a part of what I did, uh, music listening was definitely in mm-hmm. high school. And uh, I was big into like underground hip-hop, um, which there was no outlet for it in Durham, North Carolina. Yeah. Like zero, you know, right. especially for like a 16-year-old. So Yeah, I mean, uh, who who's big in, uh, in, in when you're in high school? Who are the big artists? I mean, I mean, not really around here that I can think. Because Little Brother, that was they, not, they might have been they were doing like small ciphers on Central's campus at that point, but yeah. they certainly weren't on the radio. They weren't Definitely. even regionally known uh, at that point. So, who who are you listening to uh, from around here, or just in general? What oh, kind yeah. of what are your tastes as a young Nick Wallhauser coming up through high school? Man, I really, uh, I mean, as soon as I figured out that you know through the internet. Because, I mean, yeah, like you said, music downloading, it like just began, perhaps. And um, finding like all this underground stuff like uh, Binary Star. Um, oh, I loved that album. Like, yeah, that was a big one. Cannibal Ox and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that you're looking at more early 2000s there. I'm trying to think late 90s. So definitely more in the underground scene then instead of uh, like top 40 sort of pop rap. Totally. Uh, that, that sounds like that was more your... Uh, more your steez was mine as well. Uh, my dad did music and, and was a DJ when I was coming up. But as soon as I learned about Jurassic Five for the first time and got really into their music, that led me to so many other groups and, and artists that I fell in love with. And, and downloading made it so easy to just go online and get entire catalogs. I know that the artists probably hate hearing that because they're not oh. making any money on it. But I hope that I paid it forward in, in some respects as I got older and, uh, you know, got a job and made my own money. But, uh, yeah, it really helped me and I'm sure you as well become just huge fans of, of these, uh, these artists and an opportunity to delve into different subgenres of, yeah. of hip hop. So you're at Riverside, you're playing lacrosse, maybe not doing as much music, um, but you, you graduate from Riverside and you go off to college for lacrosse. Is yeah. That right? Yeah. So I played lacrosse for three years of college and, uh, I quit my senior year yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> and I, and to this day I cannot watch a lacrosse game, even think about playing it. So. Was there a path forward for lacrosse at that point? Like say you'd done it four years in college. When, where, where were you in school? Uh, I went to, I did one year at Guilford, and then okay. I did three years at Queens University. Okay. Yeah, which I thought was I thought I was going to New York, 
Mm. And then I went for the trip to see the campus and the address was Charlotte. Oh no. I was so pissed. But uh, yeah, so I did, I played there as well. So you just uh, committed anyway. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I was, I didn't enjoy Greensboro and that freshman year was pretty like hectic. Yeah. uh, Nothing against either, you know, that school, but. Um, to each his own. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, no idea. Uh, I left. I couldn't get through my senior year of play, or imagining like playing lacrosse and getting through my senior year, so I quit lacrosse. And is that is that just because there was no outlet for? It? I mean, I, no. Even to this day, there's barely like major league lacrosse. Right. Um, it exists. But it, yeah, right. It's it's out there, but I just got burnt out. Like, yeah. I mean, um, big props to all student athletes because. Uh, you know, balancing time in the gym, time at practice and, you know, class time. It's like stupid hard, you know? Um, and I just got completely burnt out and so quit. And then, yeah. <laughs> and and were you, had music been re- reintroduced into your life at that point? Was Definitely. there kind of a, a switch for you or like, I'm not going to do lacrosse. Maybe I can uh, reinvent myself, reinvest in my passion in music. Music came back, yeah. I mean, during my freshman year or my senior year of co- or high school, I guess, with the Fruity Loops. Yeah, I was kind of like, all right, this is cool. We sample some stuff, make some like beats, and then uh, either my freshman or sophomore year of college, I was uh, given an MPC uh, 2000, and um, you know, messed around on that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Fruity Loops was always still way easier, but uh, I did some. Uh, projects through college you know worked with a dude down in south carolina named Illcraft. that was pretty fun actually traveled down there nice that was pretty cool it was like my sophomore year probably um and then worked with some people around you know charlotte that was they were all doing some cool stuff dante fox uh royalty um i don't know if any of these guys are active anymore <laughs> but well, uh, and so this is this is like oh Four, right. five, yeah. oh, five, oh, six. So even then, I mean, the internet was around. It was a thing, but like social networking wasn't, I think Facebook was Facebook founded was in starting. 06. Yeah. Um, Twitter might've been around. Instagram certainly wasn't around. YouTube was barely a thing. Uh, so this idea of being able to just blast your music out into the ether and, and people find it is just not. We that, used SoundClick. Soundclick.com and uh, MySpace. MySpace was big. MySpace, yeah. Yeah, People really forget how, like, uh, revolutionary MySpace was at the time and and what people were doing with it. I remember talking to somebody a week ago about website building and how a lot of people learned early programming just because they wanted to mess around on their MySpace. They wanted to have glittery backgrounds and make their name all weird and abstract on the homepage and do all this stuff. And I think MySpace and Tumblr both were, uh, you know, that's, that's what like made programming, not just for the, for the geeks. You know? I never, I was always jealous of those people with the cool profiles. I never looked into it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but so, but MySpace is like, that was, that served as people's Facebook pages, as their band pages. It was the destination for all this stuff and, and really lasted a lot longer than people remember. It, it had a lot of crossover with Facebook before Facebook kind of just ate up social networking. 
So, yeah, I mean, you had to travel, to your point about going to South Carolina, going to Charlotte. To get a name for yourself, you had to be in front of people. You couldn't really rely on the Internet to, oh, yeah. to put your stuff out there. Well, I mean, I guess you could. And I still don't know how to get people to actually listen to anything. But, um, it's you know, that's always the struggle. Um, but, yeah, it, that was weird times for, I think, you know, music. Um but MySpace did its job pretty well, I think. I've learned about Flying Lotus through MySpace, and I was like, Sick. he had just released 1983, that record. And uh, I MySpace messaged him like, yo, will I be able to buy this in North Carolina? And he's like, yeah, you'll be able to buy it everywhere. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, whoa, cool. So props to Flying Lotus for uh, being good to his fans on MySpace back in 2000-whatever <laughs> That loyalty is important, man. Yeah, man. I, I've been a fan since. Um, so so that, that did a good job. But before that was so, I guess, more in my high school years, music was really hard. Mm-hmm. So. so then you're, you're done with school, and maybe you're thinking about a career in music. No, um, no, not at all. No, even though you've been hustling, you've been traveling. You're like you don't. You're not looking to. I mean, to make I, this I'm a full time thing. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be. What did you major in? Philosophy. Okay, philosophy, hip hop. Those are right in in the same family. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. But with that in mind, uh, you you've graduated. You've got your degree. What are you thinking is next for you? If not music. So when I transferred, I went to, ended up at UNC Charlotte, a uh, great school. I think I had fun there. Uh, it was cool to just be a student, but, um, they took, they made me take a foreign language class mm-hmm. and like, I've always been terrible at Spanish. I got kicked out of French in middle school. They were like, just go take like PE twice. <laughs> and, uh, I was cool with that. That is a, that is a failure of the system right there. <laughs> I mean, maybe get out of our face. Kid. Just go run. I mean, I somewhere. guess I was really nice and they liked me. So they let me do a double P. Yeah. I never wanted to take German. So I ended up taking uh, Japanese and the teacher liked me a lot. And the teacher was just like, you should go study abroad. And I was mm-hmm. like, I got to graduate. Like I'm on year 4.5 right now. Clock is um, ticking. Yeah, pretty much. Or year four, I guess. And then it would be like a fifth year would be studying abroad if I mm-hmm. do it. And I was like, yeah, there's no way. And like studying abroad is awesome because, I mean, you pay your like regular tuition and you get to go like have a totally different experience. So I did it. And uh, so, yeah, I ended up in Japan for a year. Had you been thinking about study abroad at all before that? Would you have? have... I didn't even know it was an option. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. It would, never would have crossed my mind. It's a lot different than it is now. It, people you're almost forced to look at study abroad options now in college because they want you to have a more diverse experience and just the ability to actually travel is that there's less barriers to entry. So you can, you know, you can get to places a little bit easier. The the connections are a lot stronger between universities here and abroad as well. So kids now, if they say, oh yeah, I studied abroad here. Like, oh, that makes sense most kids are and if they're going to university but but then it wasn't nearly as as much of an opportunity it's a great thing i think everyone should do it yeah absolutely but yeah i guess so i did that came back and so finally graduated after a little bit of a delay uh and then that leaves me where hey man it took me nine years to go from high school 
graduation to walk in and get in that diploma. So that's pretty good. Again, to each his own, man. It's it's a journey. It's it's not everyone's story is going to be the same. And so yeah, four years. That's and that's that's the average, right? Well, I ended up doing five. Okay, I think. Five, with, five with the study abroad. No, five and a half. Okay. Five and a half. But you had to transfer. You had to study abroad. So Yeah, I yeah. transferred like three times, man. Yeah. I think twice. Twice, twice. But um, but yeah, ended up, so I ended up graduating with a philosophy degree, uh, a experience of a year in Japan, and I definitely wasn't excited about Charlotte as a city. And uh, at that point... So we're looking at like 07, like I didn't have any ideas of coming back to Durham either. Yeah. So I was like, screw well, and, this. And what would you have come back to? I mean, Durham. Right. I think I, the Federal existed then. Yeah. Like Bull McCabe's was maybe about to open. And and, and American Tobacco was had just started, mm-hmm. but no one really knew what that was. Startups was not popping like it is now. And so right. coming back to Durham, you're like, well, what am I coming back to? Yeah, I would have nothing. But um, but I enjoyed Japan so much that year abroad. That I was just like, screw it, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna stay for at least five years. And so, so you had that in your mind, five years bare minimum. I'm gonna be in Japan when you took off. I said three. Okay. And I was like, but no longer than five. Okay. Um, and I mean that's what happened. So that study abroad experience must have been really transformative for you to think about spending lot time. You know your your young years in in Japan in a, in a foreign country. Yeah, for sure. I'd say so. That I mean that year it's like you must not have gone to class very much then. No, no, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I mean, we had, you know, it was like 3 hours or what was it? It was like 4 hours a day of like no English was used. It was hard. It was the hardest school stuff I'd ever done. Or maybe I just was never going to class ever. How good was your Japanese going into study abroad? Terrible. I don't yeah, I mean, you it, would have had, what, a semester of it? Yeah, I had a yeah. semester of it. And that, you know, that's, I don't even know. But I you were able to get by on, on Jap and English? I mean, not really. But you still committed. Yeah. That's impressive. I, I, don't, I don't know a ton of people that would have made that leap, maybe. Especially, to you know, to, to go to um, another English-speaking country, you go to, you know, the UK, Australia, or something like that. Australia, you all could, you could get bugs away with, and but... animals are trying to kill you, so that wasn't <laughs> an option, man. I mean, it's like how here in, I don't know, in, I remember everyone had Spanish class, right? you know, growing up here, and it's the same there. Like, everyone has English class. Right. It's just like, how much is it used? Like, I can't speak Spanish, and I, you know, I took it from whatever whatever yeah, grade they started teaching us i always, i was also in that camp i didn't want to take spanish maybe cuz i wanted to be a contrarian i don't know what it was but i just felt like everyone's learning spanish i don't need this i'm going to go learn italian or or japanese was also high on my list i i watched a ton of anime growing up so i was like you know it'd be really nice to not have to have subtitles if i right, could just right. understand what they were saying i could watch it it's and not cool be language. reading half the time so um so you end up in japan five-year plan what what are you thinking about when you move there you're just like i'm gonna get a bartending job i'm gonna teach english kind of how do you how are you gonna make a a life for yourself in japan i knew that teaching english was the quickest like ticket in and Mm -hmm. like the only thing you need to do that is a college degree 
And so like I had a college degree and did your professors have anything to do with you, uh, making connections there? Did you lean on them at all to try and get a job or no, not at all. I, uh, I mean, I, I wanted to get back to the same city I studied abroad in, which is Nagoya. It's like a two and a half million person city. Um, great city. I love it. Uh, but I knew I wanted to go back there. So I was just looking at English schools and I happened to find one. And like, usually this is like a month long process or more, but, uh, this school I find it's like a privately owned, very small school. It's like a, it's kind of, it's not like a school. It's like kids come there after school to learn, Mm, you know what I mean? Like a, uh, is Sylvan learning center still a thing? (laughs) I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Like kids would go after their regular school day and learn. That's what this was like. Um, and the dude, he was like, you know, I had one interview, it went well. And then he was like, this is weird to ask, but would you be down to come here illegally in the next week? Like before the visa process goes through. And I'm just like, hell yeah. (laughs) Like, you mean I don't have to worry about like, working some like lame job for a month or two here in Charlotte. You know what I mean? So I went from like an interview to being back in Nagoya beginning this, you know, English teaching job within a week. And so, and that was probably like three weeks after graduation. Yeah. So So you, so you had not even spent a whole year back in the States between study abroad then. And it was like five months. Yeah. Yeah. That's a quick turnaround. Really short. Came back, graduated, and two or three weeks later, I was back in Japan. So, so yeah, taught English. And did you do that the whole five years? Was that sort of your anchor job? Uh, Not really. I did that for two years, and then I taught um, just at a regular middle school for three years. What is teaching like for you as someone who's, it sounds like, education teaching was never really like something that you considered as a career path. I could be wrong, but, uh, in our, in our conversations, it sounds like that, that wasn't really on your mind, but now you're thrust into into this position where you are in charge of other people's children. True. True. Well, yeah. Yeah. At the middle school, it was like team teaching. Okay. So that was pretty cool. Um, is it pretty similar to the states in terms of how the schools are run do you have I don't bells think so. classes yes yeah well there the students have their class and the teachers move so that was pretty weird um but it's kind of cool because it gives them it really builds like unity in the classroom i think but yeah the schools there are definitely different um teaching english there it was like that was the one class like they got to kind of not be stuck with their head in a book so like these kids really like some of them really look or not nah, most of them really looked forward to English class because it was like, you know, you're going to have this goofy American cat up in there. And uh, I don't know, we're probably going to play some trivial or some kind of trivia game in, with English or, you know, I don't know. That was like the big thing. Like, how, well, how can yeah, you, you had some, you have some freedom, right, to, to teach maybe the way that you wanted to teach was was music a part of that? At all, you said yeah, we trivia, did, uh, but it's music is something that translates across. We did Run cultures. DMC's Christmas in Hollis every year, right around Christmas time. We'd learn that 
and uh, no, none of the kids could pull the raps off. But we'd all get down and listen to some uh, Run DMC. <laughs> that's it. that's probably as close as the music gets. And at this time, are you? How is what is music like for you in your own life? Are you still making out there beats? Because hip hop is a is a big part of the the Japanese music scene and, and has been for some time. Yeah, you and I have definitely talked about New Jabes, who's right. a um, or was a music producer, hip hop beat maker, really really talented guy, kind of in that same esteem as Jay Dilla. For a lot of folks, uh, passed away yeah. early in his life, um, way too soon. But he was probably coming around the time that you were in Japan. He was a little before. He died, uh, I think, the first, my first or second year back. Like, he was definitely alive and running a really cool record store in Tokyo when I studied abroad, I went, it was a very cool, t uh, experience. And then, yeah, he died of like two years later. So it was unfortunate. And I remember going back to that record store and it was closed after he died. And that was, that was pretty emotional time. Yeah. But yeah. So, so music and then is, is, it's still something that you're dabbling in, even though you're, teaching full-time no Japan. music there i was doing very heavily um a lot of uh just beat making at the house a lot of collaboration with um japanese rappers that you know from nagoya uh i was djing a lot more then um i was the hype man for a dj we had this little like uh the jazzy jeff and uh mad skills you know <laughs> kind of dynamic going on so that was pretty fun um and are they doing music in english and japanese uh the guys i was working with yeah no, they were all pretty much you know 98 percent of it was in japanese then mm -hmm. they'd throw out like texas pete or something yeah right in the rhyme, yeah, some you know? some things just don't translate right right but uh yeah that was all japanese um it really and working with them you know going to the hip hop shows and working with people, it really forced me to learn the language too. So that was cool. Point. So then, so for your five years are up, you've, Oh yeah. You, you've spent what, uh, right out of college, you'd have been 22. So most of your twenties are, have spent, yeah. Been spent in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And then you come back to Durham immediately after Japan? Yeah. Uh I went yes, pretty much. Uh, and what what what's the tipping point? What makes you finally decide is it this pact that you've made with yourself uh 5 years ago to say, you know, I gave myself 5 years, that time is up, it's time to go home or were you burned out from being in Japan? What is it that influences you to decide now's the time for me to to come home right well i was burnt out from teaching for sure um i had also been working at like a cafe and bar uh during the last like three years in japan and that was really fun but um i knew that it was like i can stay here like do this cafe bar thing um i'm over teaching at this point and i also thought that if i didn't leave I would like never leave, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't, and I still think about going back to Japan and I know if I do, it's going to be like for the long, you know, the long haul, like 
there's no like, oh, let me go do another year. It's like, I'm going to go do another like 20 years. And then what, maybe, what is it about Japan that, that is calling you there? Uh, I mean, the big, I enjoy bigger cities for okay. sure. I've, I learned over there and that was like a two and a half. We do have person. those here in the United we States. Do. True, true. Uh, we do, we do. But there specifically, it's like the level of convenience through like public transportation. Um, I guess just people's like etiquette in general. Like there's no like real stepping on toes. The food. I mean, the music as well. Like the nightlife there is way crazier. Not that I necessarily party hard or not party hard. Don't party hard. I'm not sure. But um, there people cut way loose and have a good time. Um, but is there something about being in Japan that you feel like you can't get here? Not, not necessarily in Durham, but in any city in the United States. Cause you know, there's New York, LA, Miami. Yeah. Um, you know, there are places where partying is a big part of the culture. Music's a big part of the culture. For sure. Um, you know, etiquette, maybe not as strong in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't spent too much time there, no, but I don't get no the way. sense that there's... A strong sense of I mean the food, space. man. And as we said, like food, bar, music, like that's it for me. Those three things. Um, for now, yeah, <laughs> sure. And uh, just the food there really worked for for me, and Nagoya specifically. Mm-hmm. Like I nowhere else in Japan really, uh, you know, draws me as much as that. The the food there is um, considered very heavy and rich by other people in Japan. So like that kind of fits well for someone from the South. Like yeah. they're used to like salty, buttery food there. It's like, you know, saltier food. It's just like heavier flavors. That's where red miso's from. They're like one of the famous places for it, a specific type. Um, and it's just a real rich miso. So it's like that whole city has super rich kind of palates. Um, so the food, yeah, I can't get that food anywhere else for sure. Yeah, so that's uh, we're going to take a quick break here, but I want to continue that conversation about food because I know that is a point of contention for you here back in, in Durham. But uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and, and uh, hash this out with, uh, with Nick. So are you thinking about doing music uh, when, when you come back to Durham or coming out of teaching in Japan? How much is music playing into your career path? Is it teaching? Is it education? What are you looking at in this new Durham that you're experiencing? Right, right. I mean, music for me is still, I'm a hobbyist when it comes to music, I'll say. Maybe very pretty serious hobbyist at times, but to me, it's not a kind of career goal i don't want to be a beat maker or musician necessarily but i'll always do it yeah like is that just because the 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 difficulty of cracking into that market is is so high or it's just not you're not passionate enough in it to really pursue it as a full-time career 
Uh, I guess if I were to take it seriously, I would do it a lot more. You okay. know what I mean? Um, and to do it seriously, I'd have to like give up a lot of other stuff. So music is a hobby for you. What are you thinking about day to oh, day right. that what you're trying to get to? Yeah, I mean, you gotta right. you gotta make a living. Um, well, let's see. I'd look Japanese at Japanese uh, culture is is deep deeply rooted in in your story now in your right. in your daily life. So to go from whatever it was that you were doing in Japan to coming back here, it's it's not just a, a shift in in your uh, professional career. It's like a totally sh- different shift in a way of life um, that you have to do all over again. And yeah. so, yeah, what are, you, what are you thinking? What's going through your head when you're like, okay, how do I get back integrated into American culture, American society at this point? Right. I had, um, I mean, I knew like I wasn't going to get into teaching and I still looked at some options. Like there's no way I was going to go back to school to get like a teaching degree. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I had looked at like a few like grad programs at central, but then like, I was like, I don't want to take these GREs. You're like, screw this. And five years teaching English abroad philosophy degree. Like what's the best bet? Like working in a bar. <laughs> so ended up working at motor. Cup. And so in 2014, not only is, are there bars and restaurants, but there's a scene that's being established. So, the, the bars are starting to to pick up steam. People are coming back downtown, so it's it's not a bad time, I guess, to to start a career as a I guess so, bartender, yeah. or bar manager, and that's where I think a lot of people n- would recognize you from. Um, is, is your time at Motorco and now at Accordion and, and Quarter Horse, um, but but you you're you're just jumping into this in 2014. Again, you have this experience from being in Japan. So now you have to, to rethink your approach. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was some pretty wild, uh, reverse culture shock, I guess. It's culture like coming shock. Back, yeah. Coming back to where you're from. Even if it's your original culture, it can still be culture yeah. shock. Yeah. It's like walking through the neighborhood and someone just being like, Hey, you know, it's like, what, <laughs> like, what do you what, what does this person need? Um, so that, that definitely happened. And, uh, so you start bartending, you're at Motorco mostly at this point. I think that's where I started. No, that's where I only worked at Motorco for, right. for a while until I started at Baxter out in Chapel Hill. So I was juggling those two for a bit as well. But um, I don't know. I, had, I knew some people at Motorco already, uh, had connections to it, and it was just kind of automatic job yeah. kind of thing. Almost. Are you bartending in Japanese at this point? Have you... No, I had bartended <laughs> in Japan. At Motorco, I started out running french fries, man. Mm. Um, that was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then eventually bartended there as well. But um, yeah, so I guess Motorco just made sense, really. Um, and it it was a fun time. Or still is a fun time to work in bars, as you're saying. There is like a social aspect to it. Um, especially now, like... Quarter Horse being kind of in the center of downtown, you get a lot of like people who just moved here, people visiting who like don't know that Rigsby's probably your best bet for nightlife. It's like they'll stumble down to the barcade and they're like, we're from Austin. This is great. You know, and it's like, it's pretty cool. It's interesting to, you know, um, kind of receive those people to the city and be like, oh yeah, you know, you're looking for this. Go here, go here, go there. Yeah. What is that like? Because, you know, people in Durham... 
are very protective of Durham and the scene here and the culture here. And there's tends to be a lot of backlash when something new makes its way. And I can't say I'm that I haven't been that. a part of that being alienating maybe towards new just because it's it's big it's scary there's a lot of money involved with new developments and people tend to think oh they're going to come in and ruin what's going on here but um but for you it, it may be a little different just because you weren't here through a lot of that stuff and and so you're coming back not as a you know you're from durham but maybe you don't have that same protective instinct no, in the I'm, way that some of the some of your peers might have. So, what is that like for you? When people are like, "Yeah, I just moved here," or "I'm opening a new business here," how do you process that? That's a loaded question. You know, I mean, I left when I left Durham. I was happy to leave Durham. Like I think you a lot of think. people were. I left in '02. Like it, that cookout on Hillsborough Road opened in like 2000, 2001, and we were ecstatic. We we're talking about like a cookout. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, spent a lot of nights in that, uh, in that parking oh, lot. Oh yeah. And I loved it. You know, I cherish those nights, you know, I always will great memories or whatever, but like, but that that's was not thing. where I wanted to be. You right. Know? That was the thing to do. Yeah. Even in 2008, when I graduated, it was like, well, what are we going to do tonight? Oh, I guess we can drive through the cookout parking lot and see who's there. It was a party, man. Yeah. I'm glad that that lasted for some years there. Cause I know we have some years between us, but, um, so I don't know. I mean, I get back here and, and a lot of the people that have built these kind of bars that are the concrete base or restaurants for like, you know, social places, mm-hmm. a lot of them aren't originally from Durham. Right. So it's like, all right, so you've been here a decade or 15 years. Like, what difference is it? Like right. in 10 years, these people will have been here for 10 years. And like, but that question that you're asking also like brings up gentrification a bit, which is never easy. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to lie. I really like cool places to go, you know, and that's a, the unfortunate part. So it's like, I, I'm not upset at new people moving here. I'm not uh, upset about new businesses being opened. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for both those things. But like, how can, how can that happen and not like be totally detrimental to some of the families that have been in these areas that are changing, you know, and I, whoever has the solution to that is like, they need to, they can make a lot like, of money. Speak up. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think, I think people on all sides are trying to figure it out at this point. So I think that you're right about, um, that folks that are moving here, they're moving here because of what, uh, has been built here, the kind of culture and, scene that exists here that they want to participate in and so it's we shouldn't be defensive or ashamed that the thing that we think is fun and enjoyable is something that someone else that doesn't live here would also find enjoyable and that's um, but it's a hard switch to flip because you are worried that people are moving here and depending on where they're moving from they're bringing certain aspects of their culture that maybe don't jive with what's going on in Durham. So you have this really interesting blend of people, but it is still a Southern town and there's a certain hospitality and and culture that comes with that. And so people are, I think they're protective of that. To your point, they're protective of the families and the history here. All in all, I think the city's done a pretty good job of holding on to those things and trying to protect the infrastructure 
in that regard. So yeah, it's, and, and for you as a bartender, you, you have to be welcoming, right? People, you, you know, your livelihood is, is in some ways uh, determined by you being welcoming to those folks to some degree. I mean, you don't have to be passive right. or like you're not theirs to command, but Right, right. But it is, yeah, but you have to say, oh, it's cool that you're visiting from Chicago. Tell me more as you order three more drinks or food or whatever it is. And, you know, leave Depending a on how tip. talkative I feel that night, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but no, there have been some really cool folk. Especially, it's real funny to see the ones that, are, that are, have actually made the jump to move. And um, all of them seem, I think, like you said, this being a progressive area, I think if someone doesn't really isn't down with the way that this place is, they wouldn't be coming, which makes it, I feel like it's just going to become more and more of a bubble compared to the rest of the state or most of the rest of the state, which is fine by me. Cause you know, I like the atmosphere here. You know, I think it's, I think it's still a very diverse place. Um, and growing up in Durham, I think that's a very important thing to note too, is that it's always been, you know, racially diverse and also economically or financially, rather, fin- economically. What's yeah, the right one? But either one of those words. Yeah, um, diverse place, and not too far one way or the other. A lot of the time, of course, that happens. But yeah. well, um, and especially in in the public school system too. I mean, having gone Poe to Brogdon to Riverside, I was uh, Aaron Harris to Brogdon to Riverside, and gotcha. then Durham Tech and Central. So I, you know, I've hit all the public institutions yeah, that we have to like, offer. Durham, Durham, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, to your point, it's, it's always been pretty diverse and, and that's what part of the, the story of Durham and what people are trying to hold on to. So, yeah. um, so thinking about as you're moving through new Durham, you connect with some folks in the music scene and, right. uh, start having these beat making showcases, uh, through a group called Roundhouse What's like the, the cut and dry, because there's a lot of stuff out there at this point about Roundhouse, but what's the genesis of that group and why was it important for you guys to, to found, you guys and gals, I should say, to found this organization and really push beat making and producers of that nature into the forefront? I mean, that kind of, that show, that kind of, that style of show where it's more beat driven instrumental whether it be hip hop or electronic. I, I feel, I personally believe it all began with the LA cats mostly, you know, and, um, from there it kind of spread. And while I was in Japan, it became really popular too. And the beat shows there were great. Uh, but then when I got back here, I met Randy, uh, Trandall, um, at the skate shop board paradise. Yeah. This is board paradise, like 18 year old Randy. Somehow we started talking about making beat making, and I think like it took. It wasn't like immediately. It's probably like six months or more went by, and then like we finally like kind of kicking it. We started kicking it, hanging out on the porch, talking about making beats. Sometimes making beats, like showing him stuff with like the MPC or whatever you know gear I had at the time, and um, eventually uh, it was like let's do some beat shows. It had been happening here. Like there had been a few, I know, uh, Rodney Oak city slums out in Raleigh was doing some shows here and there. Um, some people, I think Josie and Randy were doing some shows in Durham here and there, but like none of it had really like been 
had like a solid foundation and kind of like vision perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not too sure, but one well, DJing was cause I remember coming out of dirty Durham, the one of the big arts collectives here, they were doing party illegal and there were all these the the dance stuff. shows. Yeah. But it was more in that space. Sort of like the EDM dance techno, Right. Um, they had that really locked down and there was a big scene for that style, but there wasn't the, the beat makers, these sort of more, I don't say traditional, but it was just a different style of, of, of music yeah. didn't have the platform to your point. There wasn't a foundation there. The shows were happening, but it was still very underground. Um, how does, how does, so one of your founders, David Huber, yeah. um, has spent some time in LA and you mentioned the LA yeah. beat scene and guys like flying Lotus, who you also mentioned earlier, were MySpace, very heavy. Baby. Yeah. Shout out MySpace. Uh, we're, we're very prominent in the LA scene. So David ends up here in Durham. How does his time in LA influence sort of the direction of right. roundhouse or the, or the I decision mean, be, to, to found this group? That'd be a question for him mostly. Um, the group, Randy and I had like talked about it, and David happened to be sitting there, and he was like, "Yo, I'll help. Like, let's do this." And like, little did I know, this dude is like a mastermind in organizing and making making shit happen. Yeah, you know, um, that's because he's he's not a Durham is. guy. I think he's from no, St. Louis. Louis. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, he he definitely was the, you know, if Randy and I had kind of like made a concoction of stuff ideas like he was the catalyst to get it to actually start right. and go yeah. um and i, I cool. think that's to your point about people moving here and bringing ideas opening businesses it's nice to have an injection of new ideas into a scene you know for him to bring that kind of perspective from a bigger city from la where this is happening routinely you have experience from your time in Japan. So you're, you're, you're mashing all these different things together to create what people now consider a big part of the arts and, and culture scene here. Roundhouse yeah. and sort of the beat makers. Damn, thanks. I, I absolutely think that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and part of that has to do with, um, you know, party illegal kind of sunsetting a bit. Right. Uh, they were doing less shows for a while there. Some of their folks moved on to do other things, moved away. And so there was a gap for, for producing, for, for, for DJing just, and I felt like Roundhouse really took up the mantle and it's really different. Some people would show up to Roundhouse and, uh, they'd really be looking to like dance. Mm -hmm. And these were like people I knew, you know, and they'd come in like 15 minutes. They'd like come up be like, yo, we're going to kind of go, like, we're just trying to really dance. Like, this shit's too weird. And it's, like, fair. You know what I mean? Like, they definitely wanted that more, like, basic, like, you know, DJ party kind of vibe. And I, I, there's still plenty of people doing it. And I know Party Legal kind of pops up here and Mm -hmm. there um, with stuff still. Um, Shouts to them for keeping it monthly for like four years straight. That was really, really impressive. crazy. Yeah. And they did a really good job of recruiting folks to come play outside of the area. And that's something that that you guys took on as well that I really found interesting and and admired. And we, 
uh, at Runaway, I say we got to work with you guys on a couple of those shows, bringing yeah. guys like Tech Loon and, um, and Astronautica to, uh, to this area to, again, add just like a little bit different dynamic to what we were already cranking out here. It was, I, there were so many artists and, and have continued to be part of Roundhouse that I had no idea existed. Yeah, nobody would have. Until what you guys really did. And, and something we worked on at, at Runaway as well. And I think that's why some of those shows really made sense was because we were both in the business of trying to expose the, the art scene to new yeah. audiences. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Totally. Got some fun stuff coming up in that sense, too. Got yeah, Joe so, so coming down. Roundhouse is four years old now. It's crazy to think um, that. No, no, no. It's almost three. Three years old. It'll be okay. three in February. Okay. Um, so, it, like, it took it took uh, me and Randy a while to figure out the idea, and it took a while for David to get here, I guess. Yeah. So. I remember going to the first show uh, at The Shed. Yeah. Which, uh, unfortunately, no longer exists. But The Shed out in Golden Belt, and uh, I don't know how many people fit in there. 60 people? 60 yeah Good. it's a, it's a uh, decent size sort of coffee shop vibe venue um but it made a lot of sense for what you guys wanted to do because it was very much a it wasn't a dance party it was a come not you know nod your head to these yeah. um these guys that are just like in their rooms cranking out beats just really experimenting in their own laboratories and this was a space for them to get feedback to showcase their work but it, it wasn't a a party it was a good time but it was more of like a open workshop almost for these producers to come and and show what they had been working on and for uh, other artists to come and see okay like what can i how can i fit into this equation is there an opportunity for me to rap over these beats can i remix some of this stuff yeah, none of the rappers singers? showed up man i don't know what's up with that was that something that you guys were looking for or? i thought i thought all the rappers would be there like, yeah oh snap there's a night of beats i can go poach some beat maker right well nah, none of you rappers showed up <laughs> except a few of you uh well, well i'm but, not gonna pick and choose who hasn't but well and but the style is uh is different is different yeah i mean it's yeah. it's i would say that a lot of the roundhouse producers are more in the traditional boom bap style or two off electric or right probably. yeah or yeah. You know, some of slum stuff even though he's produced for for rappers yeah he his, did one his, on juice lords recent one yeah. um and uh and he and, and pat jr yeah. work pretty closely together so he can definitely produce hip-hop records oh, but, that dude can do anything man he'll, yeah he'll give you a pop record like, right it's straight up yeah he has talent too um but to your point the beats are just different <laughs> yeah shout out slums uh so so i'm not surprised that yeah, I guess the rappers didn't show up. I thought but. I thought that would be what it was because I mean, ultimately, I'm trying to find a rapper to work with, which this is in the it's in the works. Yeah, so I yeah. Will talk be, a little bit. I will be in project about what's uh, what's coming up for Roundhouse for Roundhouse. Yeah, uh, Roundhouse. We have this coming Saturday, the third. We got Joe Rue coming down from Virginia, and uh, two of his crew up there. These guys are super talented. Um, can't wait to have them. And um, at recent Roundhouse stuff, we have been adding uh, hip-hop acts. The after party at Beats and Bars included Dawood Salim, uh, Ebbs doing a vocal set, which was dope, uh, and the, ham the homie Camus Leonardo, um, really one of my favorite people in town. 
And then the after party at Hopscotch, we had uh, Brass, uh, Juice Lord, and Dawood Salim once again. So like incorporating more like performance type things in Roundhouse has been pretty fun. Just because like I got kind of sick of head nodding the whole time. Like occasionally you might want to hear like a put your hand in the air or something. You know, you know like, granted no one's doing that much these days, but. It's fun to have have a voice and a new focal point like throughout the night, you know, not all of the night. Yeah, so. I mean the, the label is evolving, and it is a label now. It's not just it is a, a label now, yeah. collective um, or sort of a group. More loosely, there's a um, you know there's an opportunity to really put out some some really cool records, and, and you guys have done that this year. Um, Slums' new EP was on as a full record EP. I can't remember. Record. Yeah, uh, came out on Roundhouse this year. Uh, Foot Rocket was Foot Rocket, like Tree early City. this year, right? Yeah, Tree City. Uh, Collapse was the beginning of the year, I believe. But um, and then yeah, this party coming up is to celebrate uh, the Joe Ruse uh, album release. So so you guys will are, are continuing to grow this label. David moved to Texas out to Austin, uh, still comes back every so often. And it was really nice to see him over at surf club uh, a few weeks ago doing his thing. That yeah, guy, man, after art of cool, just yeah. can DJ forever. It's he's, really, and like, no, I don't think he's a heavy Red Bull drink or anything like that. It's just the music gets in him and he just plays and plays. And yeah, um, nonetheless, you guys are continuing to, to crank out events, new music. Yeah. Yeah. We got a, a we, I can't quite, say names yet but december we're bringing someone from out of town that i'm looking forward to a lot and uh we'll see something similar happen in february too so keep your ears open for that stuff uh, my a goal of mine would be to get on the road with it honestly mm -hmm. and go to other cities but that's a bit more difficult um it's just some of the artists here like there's a lot of talent and like these people need to be heard you know outside of this area Totally. So, just tell them to put their music on uh, LimeWire. Somebody I wish. Or <laughs> <laughs> on MySpace. That's how I would tell have found it. Tell me on MySpace page. In, in 2001, 2000. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what's coming up for Roundhouse. Uh, for myself, I think uh, there's whispers of Juice Lord and I doing a little trivia night. Interesting. At Quarter Horse on Thanksgiving. Okay. So we'll see what happens with that. That's just uh it's an idea that we've been cooking up. So it's uh that'd be a one hell of a trivia host. Juice Lord is an entertaining guy. Yeah. I I I have uh good faith that you and he if you're cooking up something it, it'll be interesting to say the least. Oh yeah. Um so we'll see. We'll we'll keep everyone uh updated on that as well. Yeah. We'll be sure to share that out. Uh, on the website and, and all the social media and all that as well. Nick, thank you very much. This has been uh, an an awesome experience. It's, you got one more thing? Well, I mean, I don't know. I was thinking that uh, that whole, like, I'm counting down the day, like, when I can't take the politics out here. And, mm. you know, I just, I'm like, fuck it. I have to go back to Japan it's pretty uh it's pretty awful. So this so this interview then may be the last time anyone ever hears from you. Yeah, this is you it. might just pack up and leave tomorrow. I voted. Oh, I good. voted this past week. So I, I hope y'all voted for these locals local very uh, very very important. 
elections, um, hoping to make things better. But if not, Japan has yeah, your totally. heart and you may day. never see you again. Yeah, just yeah. boom. Maybe boom. I'll go too. I've always wanted to go to Japan. So Escape this yeah. this uh, this political climate. Yeah. Anyway, that was well, my last thing. Yeah, no, and we will certainly have you back. I go vote. We, we didn't even... Uh, yeah, please go vote. We didn't even get to talk food in Durham, which is something that... Uh, we'll do that again. Yeah. Well, and maybe there's maybe there's a spinoff podcast opportunity here for maybe we should get a couple more episodes before we start talking about spinoffs. But, but I know you and I have had numerous conversations about what you think about certain food here and just the food culture here in general. So I, I do really want to dive into that, but we'll save that for, uh, for part two, another episode uh, with Nick. Nick, again, thank you for coming on. The Buddy Ruski Show. It's really fun to say that now. The Buddy Ruski Show. No, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And make sure you check out Roundhouse. Uh, as Nick's discussed, there are a ton of cool things coming out of that record label. Events, new music, uh, trivia nights even. Uh, so be on the lookout for that stuff on their social, their website. I'll make sure to get some of that stuff up on our site as well. Um, if you haven't already, check out the Patreon page for this podcast and a whole lot more in the future. That's patreon.com slash buddy uh, You can support this show and a whole lot uh, of other content as well that I hope you are enjoying. Uh, if you haven't, sign up for the newsletter. That's where all the secret uh, information about who's going to be on the show comes out. So go to the website, buddyruska.com, sign up for the newsletter, uh, and we will see you guys next week. Peace. Go vote.